0: Uh, later on, Dave will be going over our, our prayer list and, and uh, our, our journal or bulletin uh, about what's going on. So be sure to pick that up and look at those on the prayer list. And uh, we want to remember all those who have uh, requested prayer and then this morning in our classes. So bow with me as we begin and have prayer. Father, we do thank you for this day. Father, we're thankful that uh, that we can gather here with our brothers and sisters in Christ and 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 worship you and and Father, we're just thankful of of the good blessings that we have uh, when we get together and and Father, that we can have fun and that we can enjoy each other and and then Father, that uh, when it's time to worship you and and Father, be serious. Uh, we get together there and. And, Father, we realize how important it is to uh, put you first in our lives. Father, we pray for those this morning who are hurting in whatever way it is. And, and Father, those who are, are battling cancer and, and those who are, who's are, are shut in. And, Father, those that might be in the hospital and those who are getting better. We're thankful for those, and, and we just pray that you'll continue to bless and watch over them. Father, be with Chris this morning as he brings us another lesson. We're thankful for him and his family, and and David and his family. We ask that that you'll continue to be with them and watch over them. Father, we do thank you for all of our blessings, and we know that all good things come from you. Forgive us when we fall short. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand for our first song, please?
1: First 10 this morning, number 438. 438, my hope is built on nothing less. We'll sing the first three verses.
2: My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and my death. I cannot trust the sweetest friend, the holy name on Jesus' name. Is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness comes. Oh, it's gone.
1: <clears throat> next hymn this morning number 290 290 I love thy kingdom lord and after this hymn brother Mike Williams will have our scripture reading and prayer
2: I love thy kingdom lord The hast We're with
3: Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you at this time, Lord, thanking you for the opportunity to be here this morning to worship you, Father. We pray, Lord, that we will clear our minds at this time of all worldly distractions and and put our focus squarely upon you, Father, and to remember all the, the great things that you've done for us, Father, and most of all, we thank you for Jesus, Father, and sending him to to this earth to live, to teach, and to die on that cross for, for us, Father, to take away our sins, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the hope of eternal life that we do have because of that, realizing, Father, that we're not worthy, and we know that we c- can't save ourselves, and, and Father, we uh, just thank you for the, the church here at Rome. We thank you, Father, for each member and their families, and we just ask your blessings upon them, and continue to to be with us pray that we continue to to strive to do your will to teach people about your love and that we can grow in in spirit and faith and in numbers father and we just continue to ask that you just watch over us and and bless us and father we're mindful of so many that are in need of of prayers and need of physical healing and we just ask that you'd be with each of them continue to be with Tanya as she heals from her surgery and be with Greg Lawson father we just pray for healing for him and for Terry Swindler father bless her and uh, the issues that she's going through and be with Charlotte Clay and father we're thankful for the news about Eric Blake and pray that he continues to heal from from COVID and bless him and uh, be with Randy Jones father and with his cancer and be with Joanne Lawrence and Father we pray for Rusty and as he you know, start treatment again just bless him Father and be with him and Kristen and Hank and and others Father that um, that are dealing with this disease and to be with Kelly Father she'll be starting treatment in a couple of weeks and Father be with Kevin Rice um, a friend of Jerry Fry's we just pray for him as he has open heart surgery tomorrow just bless him and with that surgery and for his healing and be with those that have lost loved ones recently father we pray for um, joe and linda the passing of their nieces just continue to be with them and bless those families and, and so many father and we're just so thankful that we can come to you in, in prayer and we know that you hear our prayers and we know that you are the great physician father and we just um, trust that you'll be with them and and give each these individuals what they need father father be with the uh, Continue to be with us uh, the rest of this service. We just pray, God, that everything that's done and said here will please you and bring glory to you, and and that um, that our worship will be pure in your sight, Father. And Father, we just pray for our country at this time. We pray for uh, the elections that'll take place this coming week uh, around the country. We pray that that uh, your will be done at those elections, Father. That godly men and women will be elected that will help turn our country back to you and. We'll uh, implement policies that will help do so. Father, uh, forgive us when we do fall short. When we do sin, it's through Jesus Christ we do pray. Amen. Amen. The reading uh, this morning has come from Philippians chapter two, verses five through eleven. Philippians chapter two, verses five through eleven. In every tongue, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father.
1: Next hymn, number 287, I Love the Lord. We'll sing the first two verses, and then we'll protect the Lord's Supper.
2: <laughs> I love the Lord. Before he died. To be whole and free again, to live all high. when
0: As we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, I would like to start out by asking this question. What if Jesus was presiding over this table instead of me? Standing here, looking out among you, and he takes the bread, and he says, take, eat, this is my body. How would you feel? How would you feel if that was Jesus doing that? And then he picks up the cup and he looks out among you and again and he says drink ye all of it for this is the blood of my of the new testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Again, how would you feel I have a feeling at, at that moment that uh, everyone here would uh, probably start become more serious about taking the Lord's Supper. Knowing what Jesus bared on the cross and what He has done for us, I think that we would be a lot more serious. I think we would be more humble, we would be more focused would be more appreciative and certainly paying much more attention to the words that was being spoken, if they were spoken from Jesus. But what I want to tell you this morning, that I'm not Jesus, I don't have to tell you that. But I do want to tell you, these are the words of Jesus, that Jesus said these words. He said, take this bread, and eat. This is my body. He said, take this cup, for this is my blood that was shed for you. As we think about that, let's bow and give God thanks for the bread. Father, we do thank you so much for your son. We're thankful, Father, for uh, him coming and die on the cross for us. Father, we know that, uh, that without that happening, that that uh, there would be no remission of sin. Father, that there would be no chance of of getting to heaven. And we're thankful, Father, for that sacrifice. And and we know that uh, no one took his life from him, that he laid it down for us. Father, we pray for this uh, bread. We pray, Father, that you'll bless us as we take it, the bread that does represent his body. Father, that hung on the cross and that was beaten for us. Father, bless us as we take it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, we continue to give you thanks for the sacrifice that was made uh, on our behalf. Father, we're thankful for that blood that that we know without that blood, Father, there would be no cleansing. Father, we pray that you will bless this uh, cup, bless this fruit of the vine that represents that shed blood that was shed for us and our sins. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That concludes the Lord's Supper, but another part of our uh, worship is giving, and and uh, we are commanded to give and to lay aside. And, and so uh, as we have been blessed with many things, we just know how fortunate we are. We uh, don't pass the, the tray now, but we have a couple boxes in the back for your convenience uh, to give an offering. Let's pray and bless it. Father, we ask your blessings on our offering. Father, we we know that uh, that we have uh, truly been blessed here at Rome, Father, that uh, we have this uh, nice building, this nice place to worship and and father our homes and our families. Uh, you you truly blessed us in many ways and and father we pray that we will never take those things for granted and we pray for this offering, Lord, that uh, that we will use it uh, in a way that will build you up father and and to uh edify this congregation and and help us to be able to do things uh, more for you father we uh, just ask you'll continue to be with us in jesus name we pray amen
1: That's all. Please stand. We'll sing hymn number two hundred ninety-one, two hundred ninety-one. I know not why God's wondrous grace. <clears throat> At this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. Okay. <clears throat> we'll sing the first, uh, sing first, second, and last verse. First, second, last verse.
2: I know not why God's wondrous grace to me. He hath made none, nor God, the worthy Christ, and God, God. God. redeemed for his own. Sing in us then. Repeat Jesus' truth, the world Greek, A, Faith in Him.
1: invitation hymn for this morning, number 337, Is Thy Heart Right With God, 337, this time Brother Chris.
4: Good morning. We're in Hebrews chapter 2 this morning. We've started a a series on Hebrews. Uh, Over the last several weeks, uh, we've been digging through this incredible letter, Uh, and today I hope the study will bless you. We're going to start in verse 5 here in just a little bit. My font didn't work out this morning on the PowerPoint, apparently. Uh, I'm calling this series, Hold Fast. uh, And that will come through next week. A little bit better than it did this week, I think. (laughs) So, hold fast. That's the Hebrew writer's uh, affirmation to us. He wants you to hold fast. There's a whole bunch of people uh, that the Hebrew writer is talking to in his day in the first century, but there's also a lot of people in our generation that he's talking to, to us right now, that are thinking about going back. In his day, they were thinking about going back into Judaism. He's writing, I think, to Jewish Christians, people who have come out of Judaism uh, and have come to Christ. But now their family and their friends are making life very, very difficult for them, pushing them back into Judaism, if they'll just say that Jesus was just an angel or that He was anything other than God Himself and that He must be worshipped, that He is worth dying for, if they'll make any kind of concession like those, all the persecution, all the bad feelings, the family shunning them, their businesses going to to wreck, all that will go away in an instant. And so the push... It's to go back into Judaism. And the Hebrew writer says, don't do it. It's not worth it. Some things aren't worth sacrificing for, are they? Some things aren't worth sacrificing for. We know that in our everyday lives. uh, If you make a plan to do something, but it's going to cost you too much, what do you do? You don't do it. And maybe that's a cost to your family. Maybe that's a financial cost. Maybe that's giving up something else. You don't make that... Price. You don't pay that price, do you? The Hebrew writer is saying, Jesus is worth whatever you have to give up to hold on to Him. And His word to us today and to His readers in the first century was, Hold fast. And so, we're going to get into to the text this morning. We're going to start in verse 5. Uh, the Hebrew writer is very, very fond of quoting the Old Testament. And he's going to do that a multiplicity of times today. He's going to quote from Psalm 8, and he's going to quote from Psalm 22, and he's also going to quote from Isaiah chapter 8. This man is steeped in the Old Testament. And so the better we understand these passages, uh, really the better we understand, understand the whole Old Testament, the better we're going to understand the book of Hebrews. So part of the struggle for us in Hebrews is we don't know our Old Testament like he did. Like his readers did, so we need to we need to spend some more time. We need to put in the time in the Old Testament to understand it, because the Old Testament, the the New Testament is built on the Old Testament, and and it comes in clear view here in our study of the Book of Hebrews. So his first quotation comes from Psalm chapter eight. So if you write in your Bibles, you may want to make a quotation where all these psalms are where all these uh, Old Testament quotations come from. That's what I've been doing in my. scripture journal here. But this one comes from Psalm 8. This is what he says here in verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. So he's still in this vein of Jesus is superior to the angels. He's not left that train of thought. He, he, he was in that vein in chapter 1. And then last week he warned us. He wanted to make sure that we were uh, understanding the severity of what he's teaching us. Uh, that Jesus is superior to the angels and thus is worthy of more uh, adoration. We need to stick to him. We need to hold fast. And so he's still talking about, about that concept right, right here in, in, uh, in this section of Hebrews chapter 2. Because it wasn't to angels that God subjected the world to come, but who was in control of the world? That, that's kind of where the Hebrew writer wants your mind to go. It wasn't to angels that he subjected the world. Now, he's going to put a little disclaimer here in the world to come. So, that's still in the future, right? But it wasn't angels that he gave that power to. And then it's almost like the Hebrew writer's mind catches on something. You ever been in, in like, talking in a conversation with someone, and your mind stumble over a scripture or a thought... And and you think, well, that just dovetails perfectly with what I'm trying to say. I think that's what's happened here with our Hebrew writer. Because he wants to talk to us about Jesus' superiority to the angels. But then his mind trips over this passage in Psalm 8. And he thinks, well, Jesus hasn't always been superior to the angels. And he wants to talk to you about how Jesus is in charge, in control of everything. Everything has been laid subject to him. But then he thinks, well, that hasn't always been the case. And he, he latches on to Psalm chapter 8 because both of those thoughts are found in this in this passage. And so he quotes right here, it has been testified somewhere. This is just kind of a really interesting little tidbit. I can't pass this by without letting you in on... on on this little tidbit that he's doing here. It's been testified somewhere. This is as close at, to an attribution of Scripture uh, where the Hebrew writer will say, this is who's saying the Old Testament Scripture that he's quoting. He never does that. Uh, Jesus will say, "Well, Isaiah said, or Job, Job said. or A lot of the New Testament writers will say that. Our Hebrew writer doesn't do that, ever. This is as close as he ever gets to to marking the citation to noting the citation and so you got to wonder why well his view is that all scripture is inspired and so he doesn't have to give you the the note the note the notation of where this particular scripture is coming from because this is not written by Isaiah or by Job it's written by God himself and these men are just penmen who have who are conveying God's thoughts and so it's probably no wonder why we don't know who the Hebrew writer is. Because he viewed what he was saying and writing as Scripture as well. And so he says, I'm just a vessel. God's speaking through me. I'm not all that important. The words are what is important. And so when I ran across that, I thought, oh, that's just so interesting. Anyhow, here's the quotation here from Psalm chapter 8. We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night. Just kind of setting it up. Um, but we'll review very quickly here too. Verse 6, it has been testified somewhere. What is man, that you are mindful of him, or the son of man, that you care for him? You made him a little lower, excuse me, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. When David wrote this passage a thousand years before Jesus was born, he was not talking about Jesus, he was talking about mankind. If you go back and you look at the Greek that uh, that stands behind this verse, what is man? The word he uses there is anthropos. You've heard of anthropology, perhaps. It's the study of man, uh, people. That's what he's saying here. Uh, what are people? What is mankind? He's not talking about Jesus. So you kind of got to get your your mind out of that, out of the New Testament a little bit, and go all the way back to when David was originally writing this. He's saying. What is manhood? Why why would you care for him? then Wednesday night we talked about, and you can read it for yourself in Hebrews 8, where David's apparently laying back, looking up at the sky and the stars, and he's just astounded that the creator of the universe would even know his name, much less want to work through him, know him, and we know, thanks to the New Testament, know the hairs that are even on his head. David's astounded by that thought so he says well, what what am i what are what is any man what is what are what is mankind that you should care for him that just blows your mind that the god of the universe would would care that he would step in and want to know want to have relationship with us David's astounded by that fact, and he says here that we were put in charge of the world that's not a thought we think of very often right we're we're very comfortable we're very familiar with the idea that jesus is in charge of everything and indeed he is he is sovereign this is just, just this beautiful concept that he is 100 percent in charge loving kind in charge he's sovereign we're comfortable With that idea, we don't talk about this very much how we were put in charge of creation. But we were, right? Genesis 1, you find God saying to man, you will have dominion over everything here. How'd that go? We kind of made a mess of it, didn't we? (laughs) We kind of botched the job, didn't we? We can't even control ourselves. Much less creation. Isn't that funny? In a really sad way. (laughs) Kind of ironic. The Hebrew writer seems to indicate we don't even have mastery over ourselves. One of the background ideas behind Hebrews 2 is selfishness, it's not so much sin. Sin's not really the problem. Not to the Hebrew writer here in Hebrews 2. It's not sin. Sin's not your problem. Your problem is we're selfish. We want what we want. And so we go to sin, right? James would say we're, we're enticed by our own desires. We're led astray by what we want. We don't have enough control of ourselves to be able to deny ourselves, which is one of the core attributes of Christianity. Remember, Jesus said, you got to take up your cross and follow me. He says, you have to deny yourself. It's at the very center of what it means to be a Christian. We deny ourselves so that we can say yes to all of his agenda. The Hebrew writer says, you got, we were put in charge of all of creation, but we really botched it. We can't even control ourselves. But as he's thinking through that, he's getting to his point that Jesus is the one who's in charge of everything. And you get to have dominion. You get to rule in as much as you are close to him. Isn't that a beautiful thought? You get to rule. You get to be the pinnacle of creation in as much... As you are affiliated with Christ. Stop and think about it for a second. When you are baptized, your sins are washed away, you are added to the church. Who are you? To God. You are holy. You are a royal priesthood. You are a new people, right? A brand new creation. You are Jesus' hands and His feet, right? Right? You rule in so much as you are affiliated with Christ. If you're not affiliated, you don't get this promise. If you're not a part of His body, if you haven't been baptized into His blood, you're not a part of this promise. We rule in so much as we are affiliated with Christ. Now what happens next in verse 8? I need you to put yourself in the congregation that the Hebrew writer is speaking to. I think this is a sermon, and the longer I study it, the more convinced I'm becoming that it is a sermon, not so much a letter. It's written down for us here as someone would transcribe any uh, audible uh, lecture. But I think it was originally a sermon. So put yourself in the audience that day as whoever the preacher is, is teaching this lesson. Put yourself in that situation where you've lost everything. Everyone you've ever loved, all your family, because you're a good Jewish person, they've all shunned you. None of them would have anything to do with you anymore. They wouldn't even come to a family member's funeral if, if, uh, if they had died. Put yourself in that situation. Let's read verse 8. Because the Hebrew writer wants us to see, Everything's been put under Jesus' control. So stop and think about that for just a second as we read verse 8. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. If you're sitting there in that audience that day and you've lost your business and you've lost your family and you've lost almost everything you've ever cared about because of Christ, you've got to be thinking, he put everything in subjection to Christ? then why am I suffering? If Jesus is in control of everything here, why am I not living a better life? Why is it so hard? If He's in control of everything, why is it so hard here? Right? That's what you'd be thinking. That's what they were thinking, I think. Look at the next phrase in verse 8. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. The Hebrew writer has a caveat here. Everything is under Jesus' control. But we don't see it happening yet. The Bible is full of these, yes, but not yet, promises. The word you need to underline in verse 8, Hebrews 2, 8, is yet. Because this will happen. This is a for sure thing everything will be and is under Jesus' control it just hasn't happened yet is he sovereign? absolutely no doubt about it he is 100% sovereign do we still have hard times here? do they still have struggles? absolutely it was hard and so this is a yes it's true but not yet promise so things have not we do at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him but what because that's not a great answer is it but what we don't see everything in subjection to him life is hard things are falling apart these people had to feel like they were holding on i mean just at the at the very last pieces of the rope, you know? They, they, they had been holding on so hard onto their faith and now the, the Hebrew writer says, maybe the Hebrew speaker, preacher says, well, everything's under Jesus' control. We just don't see it yet. And they're kind of like, okay, I get that. He's sovereign, but I really want a better answer than that. He's going to give you a better answer. You're probably still not going to like it, though. (laughs) A better answer is coming. Because these people had focused on their problems. They were focusing on their struggles, right? The Hebrew writer has something better for them to focus on. Let's read verse 9. But we see him, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. In case you were wondering who he's talking about, he, he makes it pretty clear. Jesus is the one who's, who's talk, who he's talking about here. He's been crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. They were focusing on the problems. And the Hebrew writer says you're focusing on the wrong thing. Jesus is 100% in control. He is sovereign. So you focus on Him. You don't focus on this stuff over here. You focus on Him. You pour everything you've got into staying with Him. Don't focus on this other stuff because it's, it's fleeting. It's not going to be here forever. You're always going to have problems. In fact, if we live righteously, we will always have problems here. It's a fallen and broken world. We live in it. We're going to struggle. The point is not that we struggle. The point is that we focus on Him. Listen to what He says here about Jesus is crowned with glory and honor. Right? He is the King. He is the penultimate King. Not K with not King with a little K, but king with a big he is the king crowned with every bit of glory and honor possible why why was he crowned with glory and honor what does the Hebrew writer say because what because of the suffering of death you see what he's trying to do here Jesus was exalted why was he exalted Hebrew writer because he suffered and died why will we be exalted? Because we suffer. And if need be, die. For Him. Because we're focused on Him. We're not focused on all this, all this other stuff because that stuff just takes our eyes off of Him. It's not necessary. It's just it's just a distraction. Right? You ever been trying to do two things at once? Uh, I try to watch TV and, and work on PowerPoints or uh, do some videos or something. Edit videos or whatever. And... You know what I'd miss? I have no idea what's going on in the show. <laughs> I could not tell you uh, the storyline to a lot of the shows Kelly and I watch. Neither can she because she's doing other stuff too, right? It's just background noise because it's tough to focus on two things at once. He says, this stuff over here that you're focused on, is just a distraction. It's just going to hurt you. You don't have to focus on that stuff. It's just your problems. You're going to have problems. Everybody's got problems. Even people that aren't in Christ have problems. What's the, what's the difference then? What's the distinction between people who are in Christ and those who are not? Well, these people are saved. These people get Jesus. These people get heaven. These people get punishment. So you focus on Him. You focus on Christ. And if you do, if you're faithful during that, He will exalt you. Right? He'll exalt you in due time. He adds this little bit about, so that by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone. To let them and us, His original readers and us, know that Jesus' death was not something that they took from Him. It wasn't something that they overpowered Him with and, and then they killed Him. This was something that was designed by God. It's preordained. Listen to verse 10, though. This may be the most dumbfounding verse in all of Scripture. Verse 10, he says, For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through what? Underline suffering. It was fitting to the Father that Jesus suffer. Isn't that wild? I don't know if you've ever thought that before or not. I don't think that I've ever thought that before I ran across this verse as I was studying for it this week. It was fitting to the Father that Jesus suffered. What's interesting is he brings in this creation imagery here in verse 10 as well. For whom and by whom all things exist. If you go back through and you read the Genesis account in Genesis one of creation, how did God create all the things? Are, are we told that like he, he put in a lot of the elbow grease and He tried really hard? And, no, He spoke, and everything we know was created. Isn't that incredible? Just, just as you think about creation itself, He spoke just with the word of His mouth; things were created. It's incredible. What's even perhaps more incredible is that the sacrifice that was necessary for our return to relationship with Him couldn't be done by words. Even the Creator God, who spoke everything into being, could not simply say it and make it so, not for our salvation. It demanded sacrifice, it demanded blood, and it demanded pure blood, someone who had not. Sinned. And he knew from the beginning of time that that was only going to be him. And so it's fitting to the Father that Jesus suffered... ...so that we can be with him forever. It's amazing. Verse 11, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers... Listen to this in Psalm 22. I will tell you of your name. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise in Psalm 22, verse 22. So make that notation there if you're if you're taking notes in your scriptures. Psalm 22, verse 22 is where this I will tell of your uh, tell of your name to to my brothers comes from. Jesus is at God's side, right? We know that from Scripture. He is. Living, reigning, sitting at God's side. But he's on our side. Does that make sense? He's reigning at God's side. But whose team is he on? He's on our team. He's on our side. He has solidarity with us. He calls us brothers. And In the midst of Psalm 22, you know this Psalm, I'm sure... It's a messianic psalm. It starts off with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from hearing my cries? It's the, it's the passage that Jesus quotes while he's on the cross. Um, and time and time again throughout this psalm, you'll see shades of the cross. Uh, many strong bulls have, have uh, encircled me. Uh, they pierce uh, my, my body. Uh, they divide my garments they cast lots for, for my clothes. All of that is in Psalm 22. All of that happened on the cross. This is a messianic psalm, and it's all about suffering. It's all about suffering. But thanks to Psalm 22, verse 22, we know, thanks to the Hebrew writer, that it's also Jesus identifying with humanity. He came to be one of us. If that doesn't set you back on your heels, nothing will. God came to be one of us. Why in the world would he do that? It doesn't make sense, does it? Why would the creator God, the one who is capable of doing anything, the one who is eternal, imprison himself in a body of flesh that's capable of bleeding, of being spat on, and even dying? doesn't make sense does it well he's not done yet let me take you to Isaiah chapter 8 in in the Hebrews 2 13 he says and again I will put my trust in him that's from Isaiah 8 verse 17 and then he does something so interesting he quotes Isaiah 8 17 in verse 13 here and then he quotes Isaiah 8 18 in the very next verse and he separates the two I wonder why Isaiah 8, 18, he says, when he quotes it in Hebrews 2, 13, he says, And again, behold, I and the children God have given me. He, there again, is aligning himself with us. He's part of our family. We're part of his family, I suppose, is a more biblical way to say that. He's come alongside us. He's at God's side, but he's on our side. This little section right here in the middle... I think he's doing something clever with rhetoric. Remember, this is, this is a spoken thing. So he's doing something kind of clever here with, with, with the way that he presents this. He bookends it. So Jesus is on our side. He's part, we're part of his family. And then he says, I will put my trust in him. And then he says, we're part of God's family. We're part of Jesus' family. So you trust in him. One of the big problems that the Hebrews were having, the Hebrew Christians that he's writing to or speaking to were having, was that they had stopped trusting in him. They had let go. They were still probably coming to the assembly, although some of them have fallen away. We know that, but they were struggling. Every single one of them had to be struggling. This was not what I signed up for. That was probably the rally cry. This is not what I expected. This is not what I wanted. When I came to Jesus, I didn't expect to lose everything. And the Hebrew writer says, you put your trust in Him and you suffer with Him, God will exalt you. If you're not willing to suffer with Him, He's not going to exalt you. I don't know how fast He spoke this sermon. If it were me, I would have ran through it very quickly, I think. Because <laughs> that's how I tend to do things. But I like to think that he would have stopped and just looked at the creation if you don't suffer with him you're not worthy of the sacrifice that he gave for you to a people who were suffering and not wanting to do that were thinking maybe it's not worth it to be with him that had to echo in their heads for the rest of their lives if you're not worthy ...willing to sacrifice for Him... ...if you're not willing to suffer with Him... ...you're not worthy of the sacrifice that He gave for you. Verse 14. He says, "...since therefore the children share in flesh and blood... ...He Himself likewise partook of the same things... ...that through death He might destroy the one... ...who has the power of death." That's the devil. "...and deliver all those who through fear of death... ...were subject to lifelong slavery." He says... You were slaves, and Jesus, because of his insistence on the incarnation, bought you out of that via his death on the cross. Mike read for us, Philippians 2, 5-11, and it's Paul's eloquent way of saying that Jesus emptied himself, he divested himself of everything that made him deity, and he confined himself into a frail flesh and bone body. So that he could die for us. So that he could buy us out of slavery to Satan and sin. If I'm not willing to suffer with him, if I'm not willing to sacrifice for him, I'm not worthy of the sacrifice that he gave for me. Verse 16 says, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. There's that thought again. His brothers, us, solidarity with mankind. He's coming back to this principle that he set up in chapter 1 of Jesus' position. He is far superior to the angels. And his mission, he's our priest. He's the one that mediates between us and God. He's come back to that. He'll do that throughout the book of Hebrews. He's focused on this this thought that Jesus is our priest. And and it's the thing that seems to have captivated his mind. It's the the thing that the Hebrew author can't let go of. When, When he thinks of Jesus, the first thought of his mind seems to be, He's our priest because of the incarnation. He knows what we go through. Listen to what he says here. In Hebrews 2 uh, 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Tempted to run away from God, tempted to make compromises and concessions, tempted to forsake. Tempted to let go. Jesus, I've been there. I didn't fall prey to any of those things, but I've been there. I know the temptation. I know what it's like. That's why he can be the faithful and merciful, faithful and merciful high priest. So not only is he faithful to do this job, but he also shows mercy. Will you come to him today? It's incredible what he's done for us, right? To be one of us, to be like us, not just like us, but but to be one of us so that he can understand us. That was the one thing the father was missing. He didn't know what it was like to be human. But Jesus does. And he's at God's side pleading for mercy for us. He's told us how to be saved. If you want to be saved this morning, baptism is the way that you you line yourself up with Him, the way that you accept the salvation. It's, it's, It's salvation. He washes away your sins. After you're immersed into the water, your obedience to His plan, you're saved. If you've already made that decision this morning and you just need the prayers... Uh, of the congregation here to the hold fast. We want to aid you in any way we can. If you have any need this morning, won't you come as we stand and sing?
2: Have thy not to the cross? thy right with God? Does the count all thanks for Jesus, my boss? Is thy heart right God? Is our life with God washed in the crimson blood, cleansed and made holy?
5: Good morning, church family. I hope everyone is doing well. a great lesson, Chris. Appreciate you. If you're visiting with us, we are glad you decided to worship with us this morning. If you can take a moment to fill out a visitor card, uh, they're in the pew in front of you. Uh, please fill that out and hand it to one of our members next to you. We'd greatly appreciate that so we can get to know you a little bit better. A lot of announcements this morning. Uh, As a reminder to all ladies that the ladies' Bible class will meet again this Thursday at 10 o'clock in the Middle Auditorium. Um, So all ladies' Bible class will meet at 10 o'clock. Please put that in your calendars. Um, Also, uh, for the high school kids that are heading to Freed-Hardman, we are leaving at 3.30 on Friday and coming back on Sunday. So keep us in your prayers as we travel to Freed-Hardman. Um, also, the new church directory will be coming out in the next couple of weeks. We will be working on that starting November the 14th through December 19th. We will be taking pictures in the mornings uh, after church services. Uh, remember, continue to keep uh, Joe Galloway and Linda Wheeler in your prayers of passing of their nieces, uh, Myra Hayes Bowling and Kim Hyam. Uh also, uh, we express our sympathy to the Thompson family, uh, the loss of their grandfather. The uh, funeral arrangements will be held in, at Wayne uh, this Wednesday, so remember that family in your prayers. Also, uh, Eric Blake is doing better. He is off the vent. He still remains at the VA hospital, so remember to continue to keep Eric Blake in your prayers. I'm um, Also, remember to continue to keep Tanya Ward in your prayers as uh, she recovers. Also, remember to continue to keep J.B. And Wanda Lawson's son, Greg, in your prayers at this time, as he's under undergoing a lengthy procedure right now, and he's recovering. So remember to continue to keep him in your prayers. Terry Swindler, Amber's mother, has been diagnosed with cancer in the stomach, esophagus, and ovaries. So remember to keep Terry in your prayers at this time as well. Um Mike Euron's mother, Bonnie, uh, was just now taken to St. Mary's. They believe um, she was at uh, at Greasy Ridge Church of Christ, and she was just now rushed to St. Mary's. They believe she's had a stroke. So remember to keep uh, Bonnie and uh, Mike uh, in your prayers at this time. Um, Hank Picklesheimer said his brother's doing a lot better. Uh, He's a little bit dehydrated. So remember to continue to keep uh, Hank's brother in your prayers. And Melissa McLeod uh, has asked for prayers for her co-worker, Jim Schaefer. Uh, he has a brain tumor and uh, and cancer on his lesions in his lungs and his liver. Uh, radiation will start this week. So remember to keep Melissa uh, McLeod's co-worker, Jim Schaefer, in your prayers. Also, Kevin Rice as Jerry Fry's neighbor. will have open-heart surgery tomorrow. So remember to keep... Uh, kevin rice in your prayers uh, that's all the announcements i have do not forget to grab a bulletin on your way out we have so many other activities going on uh, others that need that are on a prayer list uh, don't forget to grab one of those on your way out uh, looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at six o'clock we will sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer
1: That's all please stand again we'll sing hymn number 780 first two verses won't it be wonderful there? And then Brother Rick Keister will have her prayer.
2: When with the Savior we enter the glory, then won't it be wonderful there? Into the troubles and cares of the story, then won't it be wonderful there? Won't it be wonderful? are oh, only wonderful there, walking and talking with Christ the supernal one, oh, be wonderful there, praising, adoring the matchless eternal one, it oh, be wonderful there. Oh,
6: Our Father in heaven, as we come to the close of this worship service, we pray that everything that we have done here has been for your glorification, for our edification, and to give us an opportunity to show you how much we love you. We pray, Father, as we have just sung, that we will have a home with you one day. And it is difficult for us to grasp or begin to comp- comprehend how wonderful it will be there but we do know due to the promises that you've made to us that the writers of your word have made to us and this son has made clear to us that eternal glory and bliss is beyond compared to anything that we might have experienced here in this life help us father live our lives on a day-to-day basis with that focus that the things that we do here will allow you to extend your grace to us and your mercy to us and allow us to have that home with you forever. Father, we pray that you will be with those who have been mentioned more than once this morning, who are suffering, who have lost loved ones, who are undergoing treatments. We pray, Father, that uh, all of all of that can work Uh, to the good that individuals will recover, that they can return to their normal life without the fear of, of this whatever is bothering them or hurting them getting any worse. We pray, Father, that as we live our lives from day to day that we will do everything we can to exemplify and illustrate and demonstrate our love for you and our love for your word. Help us, as we leave this building, to follow you and your word. Please, Father, if there are sins against us at this time, forgive us of those as we repent. We pray all of this in your son's wonderful and glorious name. Amen.